Okay, RoboCop is great, full stop. Now, it's never gonna be up there with the first tier action movies of the 80s, like Aliens, Die Hard, and Terminator, but it could hold its own on a movie night with stuff like Total Recall, Above the Law, and Bloodsport. RoboCop stars Peter Weller as Murphy, AKA RoboCop, but it also stars a host of fun character actors like Miguel Ferrer, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, and others. RoboCop is the story of a futuristic police officer who is, quote, killed in the line of duty and whose barely functioning brain and spinal cord nervous system are put inside the chassis of a robot, hence the name. Dwight Adrian and myself discuss seeing RoboCop for the first time and our initial reactions, some behind-the-scenes trivia. We talk about the cast. We also talk about the sequel to RoboCop, RoboCop 2, written by the great Frank Miller. And we discuss some of the wild special effects and the fact that this movie initially had an X rating before it finally got resubmitted and obtained its R. Come quietly or there will be trouble. And by trouble, we mean our playback review of the 1987 sci-fi action movie, RoboCop. Cobra assault cannon, state-of-the-art, bang, bang. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And that's how we're going to start it, yo. <laughs> yeah. Look, I was waiting on it. <laughs> man, man, can y'all believe yeah, it, this, is, this is the 35th anniversary of one of the great science fiction, action movie, satirical classics, you know, of our generation. Yeah. And this movie mm -hmm. that we're going to discuss today is RoboCop. Oh, man. Uh, RoboCop, uh, directed by the great or infamous, depending on your view, uh, Paul Verhoeven, um, mm -hmm. and stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Kirkwood mm -hmm. Smith, Ronnie Cox. And this movie, man, it's just watching it again. I haven't seen it in a number of years. It still hits. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and I will add this, too. You could almost say that it's almost a proto comic book movie. It's not specified as a comic oh, book yeah. movie, but it has right. all oh, yeah. the elements to it that you would find yeah. later in comic book movies, quote unquote. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah, it, it yeah. works on all levels, has all the archetypes, and it works on several different levels, too. It's a science fiction movie. It's a satire of 80s culture, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it also works as, like, this uh, corporate raider movie. Like, there's a bunch of different things working in it, and it's tight and compact, and it works in, like, just over 90 minutes. So you're getting a mm -hmm. really tight movie that's just... It, that's just great, man. What what, what did you guys mm -hmm. think upon this um this uh, current rewatch? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wanted to say something real quick uh, as it relates to that. Yeah, so like RoboCop is RoboCop kind of falls in with like you said a, a several prototypical comic book movies that weren't based on comics that came out in the eighties and the early nineties, like this one, like uh, Darkman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, even though Mystery Men was based on characters from Flaming Carrot, I don't think they ever had their own comic. No. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, Blank Man and Meteor Man and uh, you know, other stuff like that where it's 
you know, it's comic book adjacent or even, you know, seemingly comic book direct. But at the same time, you know, like you said, it's it's really it's its own IP. I think the script was written by a guy named uh, Ed Newman. And Michael Miner. Um, and Michael yeah. Miner. And Michael Miner as well. But um, you mentioned it being great. Is it great? To, to me. But, but go ahead. <laughs> Is it really? Make, make, make no, the argument, well, though. I'm just, make the argument, though. I was just going to say it's almost kind of great bad in a way because Verhoeven's style is so over the top. Yeah. Like the violence is so over the top where it's it goes from wow to oh to okay, come on now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just So a- I, I almost put it I put it this way. I, I feel like this movie doesn't stand with, you know, your Terminators and your aliens and your diehards. But it does stand with like your total recalls or your above the laws. <laughs> <laughs> or your uh, or your blood sports, you know, it's it's in that category to me. All right, okay, yeah. that's good company. All yeah. right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a strong it's a strong it's a strong B plus. It is that um, upon rewatch, I'd say that the violence was extremely gratuitous. Like I forgot, oh I, I, I forgot how bad it was. It's like okay, damn. Okay, so you shot him. You shot his hand off. It's bleeding. It's this bloody stump. He's walking around like he's got to take a dump. And then he's got, then he's just shot in the back, he's shot in the front several times. They unload on him until there's no more bullets. And then they shoot him in the head. I'm like, wow. Wait a minute. And he's still alive. Right. After all that. Yeah, yeah. Like he's still conscious. And then they shoot him in the head. And that is, of course, the, you know, the, 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 the coup de bras. Exactly. The, the kill yeah, shot. The, 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 final, the kill, the kill shot. shot. The, the yeah, final yeah. stroke. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah. But you know what's, 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 um, what's um, unique? Well, not unique. But what's, what's great about that is, like, in the ways, like I was saying, that it was like a proto comic book movie. That's the origin story. You know what I'm saying? He has to go through like right, this painful right. rebirth, if you will, to become this new being. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just like how Batman had to go through the trauma of losing his parents through violence to be reborn as this character. You know? Yeah, I, I give right. I give him that. I mean, I, and to that point too, it's like uh, in terms of relating to comic books, I, I saw. Now and I still see a lot of elements of Judge Dredd in this in this in this flick, especially when it mm-hmm. comes to design. The helmet mm-hmm. is straight, is straight Judge Dredd. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that, right. D. In fact, mm-hmm. I was going to say to further that comic book analogy, um, the producers and the writers that I saw on like a, a documentary, they had even mentioned that this is around the same time that Dark Knight Returns had just come out. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It had right. come out the previous year, and I think the final installments were just a few months before the, before the movie came out, you know what I mean? And there are a couple instances in RoboCop itself that are straight from Dark Knight Returns. There's an instance, mm. remember in the, um, the mayor's office where the guy is holding the mayor and the staff hostage? And yeah, yeah. he has the gun, he's making mm-hmm. all these demands. And right. RoboCop mm-hmm. comes through the wall and grabs him and pulls him back through the wall. Right. There's a similar instance of that in Dark Knight Returns where Batman does that to the mutant gang that has a um, a uh, child hostage. And he That's right. breaks through the wall, grabs the mutant mm-hmm. and takes its gun and shoots the rest of the um, the uh, other mutant gang. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's mm-hmm. no accident. 
uh, and, and also they did mention, you know, the thing about dread as well, you know, about mm-hmm. um, the design of the uh, costume, the helmet, and mm-hmm. also the gun. Because, mm-hmm. you know, dread has his gun, the lawgiver. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Robocop <laughs> cop has mm-hmm. a similar big gun. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Right. So those and, elements and, and, are and there. It, and his main sidekick is actually a female, too. Which is uh, the uh, the the with the short with, haircut with, with the side powers? That's right. Yeah. With the Judge short boy, like boyish Perry haircut. Kelly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. they're uh-huh. all it's there. But what I like mm-hmm. about it is that if it was made today, which they tried to do with the remake, which mm-hmm. sucks, mm-hmm. Do, don't see it. It would, uh, it, it's okay. It, it, it would just be overtly mm-hmm. overdesigned. <laughs> They would try to have satire, but it would fall flat. Like, there are certain mm-hmm. things that made RoboCop of its time and just slightly ahead of its time, you know, within mm-hmm. the context of when it was made. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, I, I would say this, you know, like, as far as the remake that came out later on with... Uh, Kyle Urban. I forgot the actor. You don't even know who the actor is. <laughs> no, no. It was, well, I like the actor. I just didn't like him yeah. in this. It was Kyle Urban, but, wasn't it? Wasn't Kyle Urban? It wasn't Carl. Uh, no, well, in Judge Dredd, that was yes. Carl Urban. I'm talking about okay. in. I'm talking about in RoboCop. Yeah. I forgot who that was. I thought it was exactly. Carl too for some you, don't, you don't know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the, it's the actor who was in uh, Suicide Squad. He's been in a bunch of different things. Okay. He was in. Um, he's been in a bunch okay. of different things. But anyway, the difference is is the the newer version. Like a lot of newer remakes, they're all dark. It's all dour. It's all whatever. And there is no humor. It's like the remake of take, the taking of Pelham One Two Three. Mm. There was like there was no humor. Mm-hmm. There was no lightness to it to balance out some of the tense moments in the film. And um, but I, but I did I did see it, and I do I do think it was trash. It was it was not great. Mm-hmm. But as it relates to this, what you were saying earlier, Adrian, about the uh, the council, the former city councilman in, in RoboCop, mm-hmm. and he takes the mayor's office hostage, and he kills somebody, and he's getting ready to shoot the mayor, and then. Robocop breaks through the wall and, and grabs him and yeah. whatnot. If you think about that from a from a satirical standpoint, even, you know, uh uh a predictive one, you know, he is a former politician who raided a government building who is saying he wants his old job back. And he says, and if I don't get my job, he says and I want a recount. And he says, no matter what the recount is, I still want my old job back. <laughs> Who does that sound like? <laughs> what does that sound like? Anybody familiar? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> so, <Yeah>. anyway, <laughs> uh, but but to but to Dee's point about the, the the bloodiness too, and we can talk about some other things later, of course. Sure. But I had forgotten just how brutal and how bloody and how really dehumanizing this movie was. Mm, yeah, you know. Murphy's death quote I'm using my quote finger is his death uh them doing that to him against his will right we said his arm you know, no, no, take, cut, cut the arm off no take take it off gotta go. you know, we don't want his arm full no. chassis full so chassis basically taking his spinal cord and his nervous system and his brain and putting it in his face and putting it inside this this robot and then the ideas you know and this is what RoboCop really does well is is you are constantly wrestling with how cool this guy right. is because he's kicking ass and he's he's killing, 
you know, he's shooting rapists in the dick, you know, through right. the lady's mm. skirt, you dick, know, and dick, uh, dick, dick, dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he's doing, you know, he's stopping robbers and he's he's doing his job, but you are constantly engaged with the fact that he is still wrestling with his loss of humanity mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to deal with it. You mm-hmm. know, he sees his wife mm-hmm. uh, and his child mm-hmm. and he has, you know, he has tinges of his former life that are still running through his yeah. brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, that's that's really the thing that I think was hard, was hardest to convey for uh, Vic Stone as Cyborg mm-hmm. in Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think the movie did a really adept job of bringing it across that loss of humanity and him, you know, him kind of mourning his own humanity in a way right. or his former life. And if you so ask to yourself, you're, to your point, you have to ask yourself, is it is it is the machine the ghost or the ghost in the machine? In other words... Do you, at that point, do you feel like like you're just a like you're just a automaton, like you're just like like on some level of of, of non-existence, or are you or are you trying to power through and be human at that point? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a weird it's a weird thought process to, to think about. Like, because ninety percent of your body is this machine, are you even still like human anymore? You're just being powered by this thing that allows you to think that you are. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's really fucked right. up. Almost, almost, almost like almost like Swamp Thing. It's like, okay, yeah. is yeah. this a man who thinks he's a robot, or is this a robot who thinks that he's mm. a man? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. and Bob yeah. Morton even mentions like when um when um Lewis tries to you know break through to you know RoboCop to Murphy, mm-hmm. you know, and Bob mm-hmm. Morton comes down to the station and be like, look, he's not, he's nobody, he's a product. He's a product right. of OCP, you know. Exactly. So they even consider him just a product, and he's ultimately in another subplot. He's a pawn, if you will, in this corporate structure. You know what I'm saying? Between oh, yeah, sure. mm-hmm. Bob Morton and just Dick Jones, just the yeah, yeah. Ronnie Cox played that with relish. <laughs> right. Hello, buddy boy. Dick Jones here. I guess you're on your knees about now, begging for your life. Pathetic. You don't feel so cocky now, do you, Bob? Whatever he's paying you, I'll double it right now. You know what the tragedy is here, Bob? We could have been friends. But you wouldn't go through proper channels. You went over my head. That hurt. But life goes on. It's an old story. The fight for love and glory, huh, Bob? It helps if you think of it as a game, Bob. Every game has a winner and a loser. I'm cashing you out, Bob. Wait a minute. We got to talk about the cast. First of all, Peter Weller, a.k.a. Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And in my reading, in my reading, from what I understand, they had actually entertained, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was the biggest star of the 80s at the time. Right, right. But they thought it was just too ridiculous to put a guy that big inside a suit that that makes him even bigger. Right, right. Um. They had considered Rutger Hauer, mm. which would have been interesting. That's that's both. Yeah. Tom Berenger, Tom Berenger, which would have been interesting. Okay, 
But the greatest ones to me would have been they considered Michael Ironside. Oh. Mm. oh. And they considered Lance Henriksen. Mm. Henderson was like, hey, that yo, I, was, right, I could have right, been right. a Terminator, dog. Come on, dog. Right, right. right. <laughs> but, but I think they actually, uh, after they cast Weller, they did. They wanted Ironside to uh, play the part of uh, Clarence, Kurtwood Smith's yeah, part. Yeah, okay. But Ironside was like, look, I'm trying not to play so many psychos. I play psychos and everything. Right. He's so perfect, though. <laughs> right. He's yeah. so perfect, though. <laughs> All right. Right. He's so perfect though. It's like uh, it's hard to just to step away from it. But um and then Nancy Allen who we who Adrian and I talked about in Blowout. She was in Blowout with John Travolta. Yeah, okay. Uh, and the former wife of uh Brian De Palma. Um uh, Brian De Palma and she was in um she was in a uh, uh what's the uh the one with uh John Lithgow, I forget. The De Palma movie with Lithgow. Blowout. What Lithgow? Yeah, that was Blowout. No, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. The one with Michael Caine. Oh, um, Michael Caine. Yeah, blow. Not it's a De Palma film. It is. I've derailed the whole conversation. Damn, yo. Yeah. (laughs) With 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 Angie Dickinson. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Yeah, she was in Dress to Kill. Yeah, she was in Dress to Kill as well. But then your boy Ronnie Cox. Bogaman. Yes, I just yeah. watched Beverly Hills the other day, man. I was like, dang, he went from Bogaville yep. to Dick Jones. <laughs> I mean, to, but, and, I mean to, and to Cohagen, yeah, yo, in Total Recall. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry, yo. I, I, can't help, I can't help but think of the, the, the Dick jokes in this, man. Okay, his name, his name is, really, is Cox, and he plays a guy named Dick. I mean, come on. How how, yeah. how lucky can you get in terms of the names, man? Hey, hey. I got a Dick Jones. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he plays all the characters very, very well, man. Like you, you knew he was. Not, yeah. You knew he was. He may have been. He may have been like a, the superior. Maybe the the chief um, executive officer, kind of sort of second in command. But he's nobody to trifle with. Oh man. Like, I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm really I'm really a killer. I got this killer inside of me, and I will put you in your place, young punk. Punk. Mm-hmm. You know. And and your boy Kurtwood Smith, yeah. who plays Clarence. He 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 had not done a lot of movies, and uh, I remember I watched the documentary, and he was saying they didn't really want to cast him in this part because they didn't think he'd really p- could really pull it off. Mm-hmm. But he is kind of nerdy and villainous, yeah. and, and kind of uh, uh, like like just kill. He's definitely got like a killer instinct mm-hmm. uh, uh, that that comes across in there. It's mm-hmm. like the, you know the nerd with the with the with the big gun. Mm-hmm. But what about your boy Miguel Ferrer as Bob Morton? Killed it, man. Killed he killed it, totally yo. Yeah, he was awesome. Like, if you think yeah, somebody, uh, yes. 80s dude, that's Miguel yeah. Ferrer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he plays a similar character, you know, kind of a, a, a no bullshit, um, you know, Wall Street Raider. It is what it is, right. kind of a, of a suit in a Point of No Return. Mm. Okay. Isn't that him in Point of No Return? Mm-hmm. With uh, Gabriel Byrne? I think so. I believe it is. Like, like, I believe it's the same yeah. character. Because he's telling Gabriel Byrne, look, if she doesn't act right, you need to. She needs to eat a bullet, and you got to do it. And he's just like telling <laughs> him, like that. That's what it is. I believe. I hope I'm right. I believe that was Miguel Ferrer. And then, yeah. and then but, one um, other thing, uh, Johnson, uh, his second in command, if you will, to Miguel Ferrer, that's played by Felton Perry, who was the partner yeah. to Dirty Harry in Magnum Force. And yeah, yep, yo. yep, 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 yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I recognize him from that. He was in something else too yeah, that I remember. Yeah, he's been in a couple of things well. that you know him from. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Jean yeah. Cuts go and deep. he was perfectly cast because he was a weasel. He was that right. weaselly motherfucker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you did you guys think when did when oh you said you rewatched Be- Beverly Hills Cop? When did that come 84. out? 84. Because I thought it was interesting that Beverly Hills Cop starts in Detroit and this movie is set in Detroit. And I was like, what was Detroit doing at the time? Seems like there were other ones, uh, uh, other Detroit movies in the yeah, 80s. I, I can't think I, of them. Action right Jackson, now. that took place in Detroit. Uh, there we go. There's a couple of them. Uh, uh, Gung Ho, uh, Mr. Mom, like stuff. It was when the, the auto industry was really booming and a lot of the plots. Still popping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of plots took place with that. But once that left, mm-hmm. it's almost like people didn't have reason to set Detroit except for the crime. So you had a lot of crime movies thereafter right. take place in Detroit. Interesting, yeah. interesting. D, what did you think about the, because uh, we were talking about the satirical vibe of this and, and re-watching this, I was really struck, like, you know, the outrageous commercials and the shock TV and right. the media and I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> right. and uh, You know, all of it. Um, all of it to me felt like Frank Miller, even before the sequel, if, yeah. I mean, you know, that whole Dark Knight connection you were making, when, it felt like Frank Miller. I was like, absolutely. wow, this is like yep. right. When, when, when the random cook, when, when, when the random cook goes in there with, 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 his, with, his, uh, with his, his machine gun and he goes up there and he walks by and he starts with a comic book rack that had ROM on it. I saw that, had, yeah. Had, 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 had Judge Dredd on it. Not Judge Dredd, had a, a Dredd star on it. I didn't see what comic he had. He slammed on the counter, but it's like, okay, so you pick up a comic book? And walk right to the counter and get to get your uh, get your your money. Good. You know what comic it was? What was it? No, what was it? Iron Man. Oh. Was it really? So so, so there was nice. so there was some there was some some subtle product placement. <laughs> nice. Some subtle Easter eggs. Nice. Nice. Well played. Well played. Okay. Well played. Yeah, it was an Iron Man comic. Yeah, but man. But he goes. It, in it there. felt very, very, very Frank Miller and very Dark Knight with mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Because uh, you know, because you know, Frank had like the commercials and the news anchors and all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even your girl Lisa Gibbons. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, I kind of had a crush on Lisa Gibbons. Yeah, man. Back in the day, she was dope. Yeah, man. She was, man. <laughs> yeah. She was curly hair and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was definitely definitely 80s. Cute. Yeah, and I was gonna mm-hmm. say too, even Kurtwood Smith looks like a one of those Frank Miller like characters that you would see, you know, with the glasses and the kind of balding but still has some hair. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Like like right. that that mm-hmm. seemed like a Frank Miller type that he would draw either in the background or as some some weird character, you know what I'm saying, in the mm-hmm. cast. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, almost like a character from more from like Sin City, mm-hmm. you know, one of those weird nerdy, you know, uh, villainous characters from from Sin City, uh, in a way. Um, as far as the designs and the look of oh, the movie, because this is this is eighty seven, so this is way pre CGI. You know, the CGI they were working with was you know like pre school comparison to <laughs> stop what, motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From but based on what we have today. Mm-hmm. But what did y'all think of the design of RoboCop, which I thought was pretty yes. dope. Yeah. You know, like it worked and looked sleek. It looked like, okay, I guess there could be, yeah. you know, that could, you know, that could move and that could, you know, they could, they could articulate in, in the way that it mm-hmm. is. But what y'all think of the designs of, of the, uh, of the suit and, and some of the, the subtle kinds of, imp, you know, implications that this was a futuristic place, a mm-hmm. futuristic Detroit, 
you know, from the fashion that the, you know, people wore and the, you know, the suits that the cops wore and the cars were, you know, slightly modified. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, those, those, those like Mercury Sables on, on, on. Yeah. And, and <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for Taurus and Mercury that that took me out of it for sure. I mean, back then it was cool, but that took me out of it. it was like, okay, this is not this is not any kind of future that I I, I, I can see happening. But the um, right. and and on top of that, it's like the the, the screens, like the, the screens inside the boardroom with all the uh, with all the, the the VCRs underneath it. <laughs> it's like, like come on, <laughs> this is this yes. is a little less little less than substandard. Or back then it was hot because it was like multi screens. Yeah. It was like everybody this this, this is important, but that. Work, that worked for that time period. But I will say this. Right. As far as the, the battle chassis of both Ed 209 and uh, Robocop, very well thought out and still stands up. Mm-hmm. It still stands up. Yeah. Like I, I can yeah. see I can see Ed 209 like in, in a modern day flick and still working. It was just that, that well designed. Right. The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Dr. McNamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kenny. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kenny, use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Penal Code 113, Section 9. You now have 5 seconds to comply. When uh, Robocop was trying to escape, and as he was, he was he was eating him up with with, with a high a high, a high ordinance, so the high power ordinance. Yeah. And he as the first time he escapes, I mean, he he kind of falls downstairs and so whole, that whole pig squeal thing he does. That shit kind of freaked me out. It's like, <laughs> why, why is he so animalistic, yo? That's not what you expect a robot to do. Yeah. Like it's, 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 right. it's, and they give him that they give him that kind of that kind of visceral and that growl uh, like quality. a bulldog or a pit yeah, bull. Yeah. 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 Like okay, come on. Why would you take live ordinance into a boardroom? Okay, that alone, Dick, should get you, should get you, through, like, 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 fired. Fired. You know, <laughs> gone. You know. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, I thought so too. It, it turns out that uh, the special effects for this were done by Rob Bottin. There you go. And Phil Tippett, yo, Phil Tippett was on it as well from uh, from uh, Industrial Light and Magic. That's y'all boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And I was uh, I was watching a I told you I was watching a documentary, and they were saying that the suit was so bulky it would take like eight hours just to get uh, Peter Weller into the suit and looking right, you know, between makeup and the prosthetics and all of that. Mm-hmm. The suit was so bulky he couldn't get in the car with it. So when you see him sitting in the car, he's Robocop from the waist up, but he's just wearing drawers from the waist down. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. And and even when he's when he's walking through the discotheque, 
and he's passing all of the party goers and they're, you know, they're just turning up and whatnot. He's RoboCop only from the waist up. He's just wearing drawers from the waist oh, down. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul Paul Verhoeven <laughs> is one of the uh the party goers yeah, in the in the disc. Like like, just up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they they said they had to make seven different suits. I think the suit cost like a half million dollars. Wow. They had to make seven different suits. Damn. Because you needed him in different phases. Mm-hmm. You needed one that was pristine, perfect in the beginning. Battle damage. You needed one that was kind of, yeah, battle damaged and beat up toward the end. Mm-hmm. And and I think there was there were a couple other examples that where they said they needed different suits. Mm-hmm. So they had seven different suits. And your boy, uh, Peter mm-hmm. Weller, apparently was like a martial artist and was a marathon runner. So they thought he would be physically best mm. for the role mm. because of that you know because he'd be able to you know, uh yeah wear the suit and still move in it and look you know somewhat athletic although i don't know how athletic you can look mm-hmm. doing like this you know mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but uh but he but he pulled it off though uh he definitely pulled it off he did, for sure. he did. For sure. yeah man the uh i was gonna ask you guys about uh uh the uh the the guy who played the police chief oh, yeah. the black police chief yeah. he he was the angry that's some bullshit you know <laughs> we're not going to strike we police officers <laughs> we're not going to strike but he didn't play it way 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 he over didn't. he didn't but but he did he definitely did bring you that right and even uh Nancy Allen as Lewis as Murphy's partner yeah. You know, Verhoeven told her, hey, look, you know, he says, I want you to play this masculine. And that's part of the reason why they cut her hair Mm. was because he didn't want her to be sexualized. She had that long, you know, blonde hair Mm -hmm. and he didn't want her to be sexualized. So they cut her hair really short. Mm -hmm. He said, play it, you know, play it very masculine, you know, and she even I think her father was a police chief or something like that or had been a a policeman. Mm -hmm. And so and she actually did get together with some police officers to try to get a real sense of, you know, what their demeanor is like and how they interact in that super kind of testosterone fueled uh, world as uh, as police officers. Uh, yeah, they, they did not hesitate. Go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, and yet, like, like she played it that way too. But in those moments where she did have to play it like that sympathetic voice, you know, to Murphy, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of bring him back little by little, you know. Uh, I, I thought those those moments were very effective, you know, between mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. and um, Weller, you know. Yeah. yeah. Man, and speaking yeah. of stereotypes, as we're going down the list of, of stereotypes, the, 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 the laughing boy, the black laughing boy. Oh, my God. And what's the female cop's name again? I'm sorry. Oh, name. Lewis. 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 Lewis comes up on him. He's taking a piss, right? Yeah. He's around, can, can, I, can I zip this up? And, you know, she couldn't resist but look down and see. And then, you know, Man, how you doing, Mandingo? Then he punches her. How you doing, Mandingo? And then she. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he punches her. He pops her, yo. That, all of that, that whole thing with the gang yeah. mm-hmm. gave me kind of shades of mutant gang or like leftover warriors vibes. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like. Like in the '80s, for anyone, for the people listening who are who are not around, the '80s, people p- kind of played gang culture like, okay, it was just reveling in the chaos and the dismay mm-hmm. and the uh, uh, the criminality, and mm-hmm. you know, all we'd live to do was to was to like was to steal and, and to destroy. rape and maraud, right. anarchy, and anarchy. that's it, yeah. you know, yeah, 
Yeah, and and that's how gangs are always portrayed mm-hmm. in really throughout the entire decade mm-hmm. in, in in films and television for shows. Sure, mm-hmm. For sure. And never any of the stuff that we find out later on where, you know, people join gangs as a, as a means of survival or, mm-hmm. um, you know, at, you know, finding like a found family kind of a thing. Right. You know, for lack of a better, lack of a better term. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, it, all, it also reminds me a bit of uh, Assault on Precinct 13, like this multiracial gang, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And again, you are you are very that's a very adroit uh, observation about the way gangs were portrayed in those uh, movies, uh, particularly throughout the 80s, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, this movie is supposed to be set in Detroit, but they shot almost all of it in Dallas. And you, and you know, the key thing you can tell that it's down there in Dallas, that dirt road outside the police station. Yes. I was like, hey, Detroit, Joe. <laughs> yes. I have an old dirt-ass road yeah. outside. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, being being from Chicago, I have been to Detroit, yeah. mm-hmm. and that is not how Detroit looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Although I think the, uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the city hall, one of the building, one of the major buildings in the uh, in the film, was either a building in Detroit or it was an actual government building or a, a, a building in Dallas. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it was. It wasn't something that they built or that they put together. It was an actual like building or whatever. And you can go there today. I want to say it's in Dallas. Probably, yeah, because it would have been uh, too expensive yeah. to switch production between actual Detroit just for that, and then come back to Dallas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right, 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 right. And obviously, I'm sure they did quite a bit of it on sound stages in L.A. You know, uh, after the fact, uh, once they got through shooting on on location in Dallas, mm-hmm. but. The uh, let's talk about the biggest scene to me, the biggest and grossest and wildest scene in the movie okay. is when the uh, Antonowski character Emil, uh, yeah, Emil, yeah, Emil, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when he when he falls in the vat or whatever, oh, he gets oh, all, oh, all chemicalized yeah, yeah. and then he comes stumbling out of the and he's all melting and and, 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 and mutant looking and and, and disfigured. Right. Get away then, from me, man! <laughs> and then your boy Clarence runs up on him with his car yeah. and hits him, and he just explodes into a splat yeah, yeah. of human body, Parts whatever, and, yeah, and blood yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just just carrying, yo, just carrying, yo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was it was like that 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 pulp from uh, Logan's Run, yo, where they he, they vaporized the yeah. dude and then he kind of pulped yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but worse than that, yo. But he's all with windshield. Dang. <laughs> look, look, the homeless guy. The homeless guy come up. <laughs> you got some change, right? You got some change. <laughs> oh, but look, the way they said that did they did that in the documentary <clears throat> is the car wasn't moving, but uh, they had uh, Kurt uh, Kurtwood Smith behind the wheel, mm-hmm. and they just took this big plastic sack filled with uh like chicken parts okay. and red syrup oh. and they just threw it on the windshield and it just very oh. effective oh. i wouldn't have and known that, it works yeah. yeah you know exactly, yeah. Like a exactly. that's <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah man but i didn't realize man that this movie actually uh when they first submitted it to the uh to the Motion Picture Association to the rate for a rating it got an x rating oh yeah know? that's understandable yeah, yeah. 
and it was and supposedly it was even more bloodier than this. They actually edited it multiple multiple times and resubmitted it until it finally got an R. Wow. Okay. But they say that the the original cut you can see it on DVD. Do you ha- does anybody have a copy of it? Mm-mm. A, a, a copy of what the X rating or just a copy Robocop. on DVD? Uh, I, I got it on DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> and it, does it include the un the un the unedited the un, original uncut version? Um, I think the Blu-ray may have like uh, a couple of instances of that, maybe some deleted scenes. Um, I don't have mm-hmm. a blue play. Uh, I don't have a Blu-ray uh, player, you know, handy. You know, I'm saying it's in storage, but you know, I wanted to look mm-hmm. look that over again to see because. On one hand, as far as the violence, though, in the mm-hmm. years since then, we've seen a lot of, you know, movie violence become more intense or whatnot. But it's also mm-hmm. with like comic book, if you will, quote unquote, type violence. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder if the violence here in RoboCop is so outlandish. Is there a point where it's not realistic, but it's still visceral enough? But it almost approaches that comic book territory. You know what I mean? Like it's right in between yeah. those two areas, if you will. Well, you know, like Dwight made the point uh, when we were talking about what were we talking about. Um, he and I were discussing something on the show, and he was making the point that in our, I was talking about Logan's okay. Run, all the nudity yeah. in Logan's Run. He said, you know, and a PG back then would have been an R today. Like for us to see like butt cracks and, and boobs and side boobs and nipples. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty much an R rating in the 90s and in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back then that was PG. And so even, you know, like you see just the leap forward from 19 uh, from 1976 when Logan's Run came out all the way up to 87 when RoboCop comes out. You know how quickly, and there were probably more people pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. You know during that period of time, uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, nowadays, every Marvel movie and every superhero movie, with the exception of obviously the DC, the Snyderverse, and whatnot. Well, I guess it's, no, the Snyderverse; those are PG thirteen, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But like Deadpool or something right. like that, you know, that's definitely an R. Um, and so, like, now you see them all trying to lean hard into the PG-13 where they're going to show you violence, they're going to show people dying, there's going to be consequences, but they won't show you the gore. They won't show you, you know, blood running out of people and dismembered f- figures and all of that kind of stuff right. because they want to hit as many of those quadrants as possible in terms of the the, uh, the audience. Right. So I don't know. And, and, here's, and here's the other thing, too. Uh, I remember as a kid, um, after RoboCop came out, I saw it, I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it on video uh, shortly after mm-hmm. it was released. And even with all that violence and whatnot, it, it kind of washed over me as a kid. I was just like, oh, this is a, this is a cool action movie. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. also consider mm-hmm. this, that RoboCop was extremely popular for about five or so years after it came out. You know, not only mm-hmm. did it spawn those two sequels, but it was a television series. There was a cartoon series. Mm-hmm, there were mm-hmm, video games, yeah. an arcade game that I remember playing, yeah, um, mm-hmm, yeah. comic books. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was a viable property. But I will say this. The violence in those sequels became less and less. It's almost like right. it didn't approach the initial uh, movie. It was almost like even though the second one was rated R 
And then the third mm-hmm. one was rated PG-13. They said, no, nah, no, nah, we can't. We can't have that level of violence. But that's Verhoeven for you. I mean, consider mm-hmm. his other productions, Starship Troopers, uh, Total Recall. Mm-hmm. So those are just that's his trademark. You know, yeah, Verhoeven, Starship Troopers is definitely yeah, all that. Verhoeven yeah. just really he says that when he has violence in his movies, he wants it to be extreme like that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, congratulations, buddy. You, you you achieved that. Right here. You achieved your goal, dude. Because <laughs> like, like in Total Recall, when people get shot, I mean, they get lit up. Like, blah, 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 blah. Right. Just like right, here in right. RoboCop, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they lit, I mean, he, they lit, um, he lit a mill up too, bro. A mill was a lot of, not a mill, but, um, uh, damn, who was it that, that got lit up? Besides, <laughs> it's, it's too many to name. Oh no, it, it was not. It was it was uh, it was uh, not not Bob, but it was um, back in the in the, uh, in, the, in the conference room. It was like they went in, it went in for like in about five minutes. Oh, yeah, oh that, that, like, that, that, that yeah. the cannon yeah. fodder guy, that, that, that yeah. first yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. two nine is lit him up, bro. It was like one, it was like one shot. He's dead. It was like, like bleep, 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 bleep. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. there's there's two versions of that. When he first gets shot, the first volley of shots. Usually they cut it right there. When I was watching right. it today on on demand, after the first volley of shots, he keeps shooting. I was like, "Wait a minute, yeah, yeah. hold yeah, on, Swiss hold cheese, on. bro." Yeah, usually <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. cut it after the first part, and then they kept shooting him while he was right. on the table. I had never seen that. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, yeah. okay, right. damn, right, yeah. yeah, yeah." They would they would shoot him up and then cut. And then you see him from the back probably land on the table, mm-hmm. and then that and then that would be it. Mm-hmm. Not like he's on the table and he, and, and and the robot just switch cheese. Yeah, just and his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come get this, <laughs> right? But but you know what? As you were what you were saying though, as far as the uh, the violence and all of that, mm-hmm. the. As it because RoboCop was a thirteen million dollar budget, made over fifty million dollars. It was, so a, it was a super yeah. hit. Mm-hmm. So. The more they commodified it, the more they sequelized it, the more they realized, okay, we, we're going to keep going to this well over and over again. And like you said, slowly but surely, they start backing away from it to where he's just like a friendly robo, robo-cop right. who has a gun on his hip. You know, he's basically like a robotic officer friendly by the time you get to right. the kids' That's cartoons. Exactly, you know? exactly, exactly what happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Robo, excuse me, Robo, any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. You know, yeah. don't don't jaywalk, kids. <laughs> right. You know, right. 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 trouble. <laughs> that was another quote in the movie I had forgotten about when uh when Bobby was in the back of the van yeah. and they were being chased by the cops and they opened the back doors and then your boy uh, Kurt with Smith as Clarence says, "Can you fly, Can you fly Bobby?" Bobby? <laughs> no, Clarence, no. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then they throw his ass out on top of the uh, cold, the yeah. hood of the police car. That was cool. Look, and Lewis and Murphy, they just kind of like push his ass off and just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that was kind of one of the things too in this movie where, you know, Paul Verho- Verhoeven's movies, even down Starship Troopers, Total Recall. Uh, even if you include showgirls and other things that he's done, none of the characters feel clean. Yeah. None of them feel like, okay, this is the clean character. This is the pure Mm -mm. character that I can, I can hang out with and I can hang my morality on as an audience member. Right. Like all the cops were like, 
you know, they might as well have been in Gotham, whatever. They all felt like, okay, all y'all are really, y'all probably dirty, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you're dirty, right? right, right. Of course you're dirty. Right, right, you know, everybody's right. on the take. Right. You know. That's dirty. And, that's dirty. You know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I just, I just kind of always felt that. But Adrian, you mentioned the uh, the sequels. We, we, we have to talk about uh, the the sequel that was written by Frank Miller. Yes. A little bit as it relates to this one, mm. because. I remember, like you mentioned, and we usually talk about this in the beginning, but I remember seeing this in theaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was probably in my like in my early mid twenties yes. when it came out, mm-hmm. and I remember really liking it. I remember walking away feeling like it, you know it was kind of comic book movie ish mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. um, and and I remember it being like a big success at the time. Like I remember people being like, "Oh man, Robocop, Robocop, Robocop," mm-hmm. and then when the second one came out, I was and I saw it before I realized that Frank Miller had written uh-huh. it. But I think I want to say it was after that when I realized that a Frank Miller makes an appearance in the movie, mm-hmm. a cameo yeah. as the lab doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, Frank, or whatever <laughs> it is that uh, that the character says yeah. to him. And then, but the fact that he had written it, and I was like, and I remember that kind of blowing my mind yeah. as a comic book fan. Yeah, yeah. It's like, damn, a comic book writer, yeah, yeah, wrote a movie. Yeah, I was like that too. I was like, he, I was like, Frank made the leap. He's got. He, I felt like he was being legitimized, like actually legitimized comics when Frank made that leap into right. into, into screenplays. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is this is this is a this is a great time for comics to to, to elevate because this, this is before mm-hmm. this is before the, the 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 great breakout for comics movies, which was Batman. You know, with, uh, mm. with 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 Keaton, so it was like it was right on the precipice of, of trans of changing and becoming a, a thing which people could respect in the, in the in the modern cinema. So I agree, it was it was it was great to see that happen. And from an inside baseball perspective, mm-hmm. you know, the average film goer might see Frank Miller screenplay by screen Frank Miller, and they don't that doesn't right. mean anything to right. them, right? But like you said, for us, it kind of like for lack of a better term, I mean, because we were you know, comic book fans back in the eighties were you know you were always outcasts and. The misfit and it was it was nowhere nearly as embraced as it is now mm-hmm. so it's like oh man a comic book dude wrote a movie right and it wasn't a movie based on daredevil or batman or you know ninjas or anything else that right. we knew him yeah. for. right he literally was simply hired or he was simply hired to write this 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 film and did he write the third one yes too? and and the, and the third okay. one is overtly him you, yeah, okay. I, I mean, okay. just that that hyperbolic, you know, dialogue. It's like, yeah, if if you didn't know it was Frank, you would know within like ten minutes of listening to it. Mm. Oh yeah, oh mm. oh yeah, that's that's Frank. Okay, and, and, wow. and not not yeah. not for the better. But. <laughs> right. D D D D. When did you when did you first see this, man? I saw it in the theaters too, man. So it was like, I, I, okay. yeah. So I was like, I forgot who I went with, but I saw it in the theaters. And I was like, wow, this is this is good. This is really good. I mean, I, I was, I was, I mean, I, I saw shades of, um, like, I didn't realize that the directors were back things. I wasn't into directors, but I, I, I saw shades of, um, of, um, what's that crazy, um, uh, bad series with the, 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 um, the radioactive, um, mop, mop, mop wielding nerd. The, the Toxic the, Avenger? The Toxic, I saw shades of Toxic Avenger. Trauma? You know? The Toxic <laughs> Avenger? Yeah, yeah. What? I saw, I saw trauma. Yeah, because of, because of the gratuitousness of, uh, gratuitousness of it, it was like, wow, this is really, this okay. is really, really, really over, over the over the you know over the the hill. It was like, wow. He pulled back a little bit. I was like, okay, come on. Nobody bleeds that much and still lives, you know. Yeah. And then I, I found mm-hmm. I found I found particularly like 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 disconcerting was when when they had um, 
Murphy on the table for the first time, and they're, and they're trying to keep him alive, and they're pumping him up, and how his, his body kind of like pancaked out like a bread loaf, and they're just pumping him full of drugs and, 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 and whatever it is to keep him, keep him going and stuff. It was like, that was, that was, it threw me off. It was like disgusting. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I, I like, yeah. I like, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I like when they, when they, when they, when they, when he finally transferred his consciousness, where his brains, I guess, basically it was to the, to the body. And they're, and they're teaching him, and it's like, okay, lock on, yeah. lock down the grid. They, and then the uh, the girl comes up to him, and she's, she's like, kind of got a got a, a, a thing for him, you know. She's like kissing him and stuff. I, that was kind of I like that. Yeah, I like that one. Like that. <laughs> that, that know, nerdy, right? that nerdy vibe. Yeah, I was like, okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead, get your get yeah. Your Happy New Year, yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was an interesting touch too, from a storytelling perspective, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's essentially. I don't know, comatose, but he's aware of his surroundings. And so you see what he sees from his POV through his visor. And so you see them discussing him like he is a product, like he is something that they're making, not a human being that they're reassembling. Mm-hmm. And then you see like later on, you know, they're testing him mm-hmm. and he's there with uh, with Bob Morton. He shakes the hand and, oh, he has 400 foot power in, in one in one arm or whatever. Mm-hmm. He could crush your, you know, your hand with uh, with every bone in your in your hand mm-hmm. and then you see them later on where they're kind of having a party and celebrating i guess the fact that this this whole this whole uh process is working and they're drinking and partying mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so that was an interesting storytelling tool to tell us what kind of world this was what kind of people these were how much time it who had passed. done this to yeah, him exactly and how yeah and how much time had passed mm-hmm. so by the time he does start kind of you know, uh, you know, like thinking about his former life and his his son and his 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 spouse, and he does start wrestling with his humanity. Um, I guess you get the sense that really Murphy is the only good guy in the movie. You know what I yeah. mean? As a result of that, almost. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other thing I was going to say too, I, I had thought about this too. During that whole sequence of you know them training him and he's coming back online, if you will, it's almost mm-hmm. like he's a newborn mm-hmm. baby. Like his yeah. eyes are opening for the first time. He's getting used mm-hmm. to his surroundings and they're fawning mm-hmm. over him mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to teach mm-hmm. this little baby to learn again and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And, and they're kissing him like, oh, mm, like, like he's a baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has yeah, yeah. to yeah. readjust to the world again and grow mm-hmm. into like whatever this new consciousness is. So I always, mm-hmm. so I always thought like, yeah, it's, they're treating him like you were a, a, a newborn baby. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I like to nod to, I like to nod to uh, um, Asimov and Gene Roddenberry in there with the, with the directives, the prime directives, you know, ah, where yeah. it's like, where it's yeah. like, you know, what's what's your first directive? I can't think of what they're on top of my head, but it's basically yeah, uphold the, the, the law, the robot, the robot directive, protect, protect and serve, right. and, and something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but, but that classified fourth directive, Dick Jones yeah. is like, I'm gonna put that in there so you can't get my ass. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Not realizing he get fired by a superior, a superior officer, whatever the case may be, and like that took care of his ass in the end. And I thought that that was yeah. so perfect. That was like was. a perfect mm-hmm. ending, just in terms of that whole '80s corporate structure. It's like, mm-hmm. Dick, mm-hmm. you're fired. You know, right? That was awesome. Got your ass. You know, you know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? 
Yeah. You're a cop. You're supposed to take me in. Not today. Yeah, you know? exactly. Not today. <laughs> what's, your, what's your name, Walked son? Walked around and found out. Right? <laughs> what's your name, son? Murphy. Murphy. <laughs> oh, and but one last thing. One last thing before, before we, we close, man. I do have to mention the music by Basil Polidorus, who was also the oh, conductor for, yes, for Conan the Barbarian. Yes, yo. Yes. That RoboCop theme is as iconic as the Conan theme. Yeah, yeah, it is. Both mm, of them are iconic. And again, that tone clearly mm-hmm. resonates as a proto-superhero theme. When you hear mm-hmm. that, it's equal to you know, you hearing John Williams' Superman theme. You know who the character mm. is just based on hearing that theme. When you hear that mm. RoboCop theme, of course it's RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop, okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You know what? Last bit of trivia then. All right. Uh, my understanding is is in, in a working edit of the movie where they use uh, they use temporary music, you know, for, uh, for, you know, that they basically they just use anything that they yeah. want stuff that they haven't gotten a license for and apparently they had put together a mock trailer uh during this this period and they used the music from terminator as the background for the uh for the trailer and i saw that on the um on the uh special features dvd they had that trailer i was like wait a minute hold on i kept here i, I had to listen closely because it's playing right. real low I was like, oh, shoot, that's the Terminator. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. (laughs) I'd buy that for a dollar. (laughs) 